0: So this morning we're, we are looking at uh, what I think is one of my favorite psalms. It's probably a lot of people's one of their favorite psalms. Uh, Psalm 139 is what we're going to look at uh, this morning. It'll be behind me. It'll be on your screen. If you want to follow along, that's great. Uh, Psalm 139. before we read it, let's pray. Oh God as as we open this book and as we read these these words that were that were written so long ago we we ask that through them holy spirit you would speak to us that once again your voice would be the voice that we hear however it is that that works we ask that you would do in us whatever it is you need to do to make us more like jesus amen psalm 139 you have searched me lord and you know me you know when i sit and when i rise you perceive my thoughts from afar The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So once again, if you want to learn how to pray, read the Psalms. That's just beautiful. Um, so I want to begin this morning, and I'm going to be up front. I need your help. Uh, let's, I want to create a discussion just for a minute or two. So I want, to, I want you to chime in. Fair warning, in like 30 <coughs> seconds, I'm going to ask for your help. Uh, so what I want to do is talk about our sense of self-worth. And I want to do it from the perspective of, of the world. So how does the world tell us we are to define our self-worth? So I want, you to, I want you to fill in the blank, right? And I'll just tell you, I got some stuff written here, so if you don't say anything, well, I'll fill in the blank myself. Uh, but I, I just kind of want us to, to acknowledge some things, right? The world. So I want you to fill in the blank. The world tells us our self-worth comes from money. How much money we make. What was, I heard another thing? Success. How successful you are. Right, your self-worth is it? You know, how what you accomplish? Have you accomplished great things? What else? Looks. Looks. How good you look, right? That's a big one. What else? Job. Job. Kind of job? You're hitting them all. This is great. Job. What kind of job do you have? What else? Productivity. Productivity. Like, how much can you produce for me? Like that, that you know, if if you're a good hard worker and you produce a lot, then yes, you're worth something to me. What else? Your lawn. You're, say that again. Your lawn. <laughs> yes. Your lawn. Your lawn. Your lawn. Lawn. Yeah, lawn. I like it. I, Thank you. I, I that didn't make my list. I was, I was looking outside. I am grateful. You're seriously though. popularity Popularity. like what who's your crew like who do you hang out with like who are you friends who are you associated with do you know so-and-so oh you do right what else anything else athleticism winning winning grades kind of grades do you get number of likes is that what you said? Number of likes. Ooh, that's a good one. How many people write "Happy Birthday" to you on your Facebook page? Right now, okay. You think about all those things, right? I think we can we can trace um, or, or we can we can sort of identify something that's behind all of those things, right? Because. Some of those things we can't do anything about, right? Like, like your looks, your face. Like, unless I was really rich, like, you're not going to fix this. It's, it is the way it is, right? But most of those things that we, that we mentioned, uh, we have some level of control over, right? We're, we all We all have this sense of self-sovereignty, right? We have this sense that we that we rule our own lives. All of our lives were taught that, that we make choices, that we're masters of our own domains, right? The ego is the ruling center of our lives out of which we make, we make choices. We determine our own destiny, right? If we just make the right decisions, if we just do the right things, if we just work hard enough, make ourselves extremely successful, if we just think enough positive thoughts, if we just, uh, you know, do our best to make ourselves look young and what the world considers beautiful, then and only then will our lives have meaning. Then and only then will our lives have worth. We'll be worth something. So we control our own worth by how hard we work, how successful we become, and how good we look. That's the world that we live in. That's the sort of worldview that that we've been given. But then we start rubbing up against these words from the Bible, from the heart of King David. And this psalm takes a very different approach in determining the worth of us human beings. Very different approach. Instead of gaining more and more control over our own lives to generate our own sense of self-worth, this psalm sort of surrenders the ego of our lives to the divine just lets it go. What I appreciate these what I appreciate about these words from the the heart of King David and remember he's a king. He spends his whole life the most powerful person in his world. He spends his whole life controlling whatever it is he wants to control. The king says something, it gets done. Complete control. So what I appreciate about these words from the heart of King David is that he just kind of lets himself go. He surrenders himself. It's like he takes his heart, his soul, his ego, the controlling center of himself, whatever it is that makes King David King David, whatever you want to call that. It's like he puts it in his hands and he lifts it up high and he says, here God, I'm yours. I belong to you so I might as well let go of myself and give myself to you anyway. Search me, he says. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So for the rest of our time, we're just going to sort of look at some of the theological ideas and moves that King David makes as we peek into his heart, right? And so the first theological move he makes in determining our self-worth, I think we could could say it's this. This is like the root, the foundation of our sense of self-worth. He acknowledges that God just surrounds us. God surrounds us. You have me in, He says behind and before you lay your hand upon me such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain where can i go from your spirit where can i flee from your presence if i go up to the heavens you're there if i make my bed in the depths you are there. If I rise up on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, if I go as far as I can, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So in David's world, this would have been like mind-blowing, shocking, David lived in a world full of religious ideas and religious pluralism, right? To all the other religions, there were lots of gods. Even in some ways, uh, you could think of Israel for part of its history. For a lot of its history was also not just monotheistic. They acknowledged other gods. They said, God is the most high God. God is the God above all gods. There were ideas, theological ideas about God. There were gods for everything. God for the wind, the sun, the moon, the stars, the rain, all kinds. Gods for everything. And you had to spend your days figuring out how you were going to please these gods or you were going to pay a price for it. And most of these gods were, were distant gods, somewhere up there, out there, not paying much attention to us mere mortals, but Israel's God, the most high God, the God above all other gods, this God is everywhere. This God is everywhere. Living in a world filled with far-off gods, David makes the startling claim that this God cares about us human beings, so much so that he decides not to be distant. Not only is God everywhere present, but God decides to to lay his hand upon me. This isn't some far-off deity living up in the heavens somewhere, disinterested in human affairs, right? Standing off in the sky while only once in a while sort of reaching down to meddle in the lives of human beings. This God is different. This God has decided to care on a deep level, to love, to interrupt the affairs of us human beings. So this is where our sense of self-worth begins, the foundation of it all. God is here with us, and He moves on. The second place gets a little deeper from which we get our self-worth is by understanding that God knit our little lives together. God knit your life together Together, for you created my inmost being. This image is so cool. We'll get to it in a second. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before any of them came to be. So the imagery here is beautiful and layered. This is a a feminine image of the divine. The image that we have here is of a woman knitting intricately weaving or knitting together a piece of cloth. So the idea is creating something for one's own pleasure. Get that. Creating something for one's own pleasure. Creating to, I don't know if own is the right word, but so that it can belong to me. Intricately weaving together a piece of cloth so that it belongs to me. It's creating something for one's own pleasure. God intricately weaves us together for God's own pleasure. Right? To have another someone to love. To have another someone to, to bring joy The idea here is that we're not accidents. We're not the result of some cosmic boom that just happened by chance. There's a someone behind the boom. Like it was intentional. Our lives have purpose, but it also goes beyond that. There's also something else about this language. The verb here for to knit or to, to weave together is the same verb used in describing the creation or the making of the tabernacle. So, before King Solomon built the big, ginormous, beautiful temple in Jerusalem, the people had the tabernacle. It was a kind of tent like structure used for worship, right? It sort of traveled if they wanted it to. What was the tabernacle for? It was the place where God dwelled. It was the place where God's presence could be found. And God made God's self known. So the implication here is this. Not only does God create us to have another someone to love, to have another someone to to bring joy to, but God chooses to make us our bodies, our lives, God's dwelling place chooses to work in us and through us. You want some self-worth? God chooses to live in you and work for you and through you. The divine does that. The creator of all that is has decided to make you his dwelling place. Ah, here's the third place from where we get our self work: Our bodies, our bodies are miracles. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Each of us has this material reality that we call a body. You know what it does? It creates nutrients into energy. You don't even think about it unless you're hungry and you're like, I need more nutrients. But it just, it just, it does it. It heals itself. Think about that. How many of us have had a cold within the last two months? How many of us are over it? Your body just heals itself. It perceives the world through its five senses that scientists can only barely understand and can only reproduce in the crudest of ways so far. It's a body that takes in fuel and gets rid of waste naturally, all on its own. Right? fights off infection. It grows and matures and reproduces. We could go on and on about the miracle that is our bodies, right? But here's the deal. Youth and beauty, the thing that we prize so much, the things that we, we wish would last forever and we try our best to control so that they will last forever, youth and beauty will not last forever and they're determined by the world in which we live. But our bodies, all of us, just as they are, are fearfully, wonderfully made. You can think of our bodies as pieces of divine technology. Think about that. Your body is a piece of divine technology. It's beautiful. Okay, so we've got some ideas here. I'm going to sort of put them all under one umbrella. Okay, So we've got these ideas about our self-worth. God surrounds us. God doesn't decide to be distant. God is here with us, among us. God has knit us together, chosen to make our bodies, our lives, God's dwelling place, work in us and through us. You want some self-worth, you dwell on that for the rest of the day. Our bodies are gifts. They're miracles. So I'm going to put this all under, under one roof, one umbrella. Every human being on the planet is known and loved and accepted by God. Full stop. And this reality, I think, can be both comforting and sometimes it can be a frightening thought. Right? Comforting because all of us wants to be known by the people around us. We all have this instinct for relationship. We want to be known and loved and accepted by the people that surround us. And no matter what our relationships look like, we, we can know that we are at least loved and accepted and known by the divine. That's a comforting thing, but that's a, that also can be a frightening thing. Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? King David says. Look, we've all done things that we're not proud of. Some of us this morning before we got here, We've done things that we're not proud of. We have things that very few people know about, perhaps no one knows about. And there's no way we can hide that from God. That can be a frightening thought, right? That can be something that creates a sense of shame that creates a sense of of guilt in our lives. But I want you to listen to the words of, of King David. He says, search me, God. Know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Before he says those words, all of a sudden, it's really weird. In the middle of this beautiful prayer, he starts going on this rant. He's like, there are people in this world who hate you. And guess what, God? I hate them too. You know, I want nothing. If only you would destroy them. And all of a sudden, it's almost like he has to check himself. And he's like, okay. Okay, search me, oh God. Know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me Lead me in the way everlasting. Do you hear fear there in those words? Ah, I don't hear fear there at all. I don't hear the sense of, of anxiety. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I don't hear fear there. I don't hear anxiety there. In fact, it feels the opposite of that. It feels like there's there's a humility there, but also a, a sense of confidence. David seems to be praying these words in confidence, in the confidence of God's love and acceptance, knowing that God will guide, that God's hand will hold him fast. No matter what, we're known, loved, accepted by the divine. So before we moved here, we were in Michigan. I was a pastor of a church there, Covenant Community Church, um, for about eight years ish. Um, and in that community of Hudsonville, there was a, a, a there was a group home. Uh, called Cedar View that was home to 10 or 12 women uh, who had all been born with Down syndrome or something similar to that. Uh, Well, they had been going to one church in town and that church closed down. And since there was a woman in our congregation who had two daughters living in that home, they decided to, to transfer churches and make our church their new church home. And from the first Sunday they arrived, they completely changed the culture of that church. Like, the second they arrived, these women had the wonderful, wonderful ability to just simply be who they were without worrying about what anybody else thought about them. They were like the freest people I had ever met, and there were 12 of them. That means when they started worshiping with us, they sat as close to the front as they possibly could. That means that during the singing portion of worship, that means there was clapping on all the wrong beats. That means there was hands waving. Can you imagine? Hands waving in church? Oh my goodness means there was dancing in the aisles. That means there was talking during my sermon. <laughs> not just to each other, to me. <laughs> you know, I, I, sometimes I ask questions and they're rhetorical in nature. I don't expect you to answer. That was not a thing for these women. I asked a question that was rhetorical in nature. They would answer In fact, it got to be so much fun that I would intentionally ask rhetorical questions just to get them to talk to me. And sometimes I would have to take like a minute or two and just have a conversation with one of them. They were like the most free, they were the freest people on the planet. And it was so, so wonderful because it made everybody else feel like like they were welcome you want to know why they had this ability to just be so free and to just be who they were because they knew on the deepest level level that they were made known accepted and loved by God just as they were and they would tell you that That church was totally transformed. In fact, there there came a time, like the first five years of my time there as a pastor were kind of hard. It was really hard. You know, we went from a certain number down to a certain number because we had to change some things and people don't like change. And then there was a point at which that church suddenly started to go boom, like we started to grow fast. There were a number of reasons for that. But I can pinpoint, go back to the Sunday where they first came, changed the culture of that church as one of the things that made it free, wide open. It it was so beautiful. Here's the deal. If we try to create our own worth by how hard we work, by how successful we become, by how good we look. If we try to become someone or someone as a community that we're not, we always wind up looking fake. We always wind up looking plastic. Like it's not quite, it's not quite real. But if we learn to see ourselves as God sees us and accept ourselves for who we are. It doesn't mean we don't want things to be different, that things can't change, that we don't want to grow and mature, but where we are right now is where, we're, where we need to be. And if we can see ourselves, know ourselves, love ourselves, and accept ourselves as God does, we'll be better equipped then to love and serve and accept, and be more welcoming the world around us. That should be worth something, I think. Let's pray.